What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here, season two of Live from Nerdville. Today, my special guest is legendary blues guitar player and singer, my friend and yours, one of my best friends in life, Joanne Shaw-Taylor. Thank you very much for doing this, by the way. You are welcome. I'm really excited. I've never done a Live from Nerdville. Right. I've done I a think... few rehearsals. Yeah. <laughs> to you, but not... And, and you've gotten a, a commemorative uh, jumper, as they say. In I have. Um, very proud to be wearing the words nerd on my chest. Thank you for gifting this to me. You know where that comes from? Do you know the whole... The whole, the whole sir or the nerdville thing? The nerdville thing. Just you being a giant nerd? Well, there's that. You know, my, my sister used to call our hometown of Yorkville, New York, Dorkville. So yeah. when, when, when I started getting into all this nerdy gear stuff... I just kind of took her took her lead and then, you know, went on went on to create this fantasy land of 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 a place that is basically unsellable because the only person who would ever want to live here is me. And I mean with the idea. You've got quite the merch collection as we see in your beautiful hat. They sent them to me for free. Well, I actually paid for them, but I didn't actually have to come out of pocket. So I get them for free. You, you you get them for free. I I, I pretend to get. Them. <laughs> Both know who who Roy's favorite is at this point. Yeah, exactly. So tell me, um, like, how you've been keeping busy during, you know, because we're all just in the same boat at this point. It's it's you yeah. know we're just we've talked about this in the last months, and like, what have you been doing to keep, you know, not only you know like your chops up, but like just your sanity because yeah, it's like sure. we're so used to traveling and having this mission statement that it's like. <laughs> absolutely so foreign to just not do anything yeah and i think that was my biggest concern actually when all of this went down and i mean obviously initially when this went down i thought we were looking at like six weeks off the road i didn't right. think it was going to be six months that bled into 12 months that bled into potentially two years or whatever um so yeah as you said the, the major thing was we are so go 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 when you're used to that live touring schedule that suddenly stopping you know, it's a bit of a shock to the system. You think it's what you want until you have it, and then you realise you don't know what to do with yourself. Um, but I've been fine. I'm kind of, I am my mother's daughter, and she was very good at keeping herself busy when she had nothing to do. Right. Um, whether that's just filling my day with errands, you know, if I don't feel like being productive on the music side, or catching up with friends, or... So it's kind of blown by for me. I haven't really done anything. I've just done a lot of nonsense, really. You know, cleaning the house, going to the library, learning new recipes. I have had like fits of, of productivity. Um, but I think that's been the hardest thing is to maintain that when there's no end in sight. You know, it's hard to keep yeah. momentum going when you don't know when you're going to allow people to listen to this or when you can perform it live. And I think also because I'm so used to, to touring, 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 then you get four weeks off for Christmas. By the way, do an album, write it and record it in that time and then go, go, go. Right. I'm not used to having this amount of time to kind of take my sweet time with it. And, you know, it's been a luxury. So I've, I've been good. Um, some months more productive than others, but it's been fun and can't complain, really. I mean, all I've had to do is sit on my bum and watch Poldark and play guitar. So <laughs> I've survived. What, what do you think of, like, the COVID profits? Because there's there's a lot of speculation about, like, the creativity that's going to come out of the of the of the lockdown and the quarantine and the and the you know like oh my god can you just imagine the quality of music 
that's going to come out of all these artists just being forced to sit there in their house and and they're just going to be writing the great the greatest novels and the greatest albums and the greatest you know thing ever ever created in mankind i call bullshit on that because i haven't done anything fucking nonsense i mean firstly you know i mean again us being touring musicians and that is our bread and butter and what we do constantly to have this amount of time off was everything i could have wished for and have it not affect my career because everyone's in the same boat so it's not like i've just stepped back um so you go oh god i can finally get that second band together where we don't play any blues and i don't have to sing and it's like rage against the machine meets rammstein or something but i can't meet anybody to be creative with them because we're all isolated right. and you can't get that kind of connection going over a computer screen you can try but you can't you know i can't just turn up to Ross Belt studios and jam out with the whole band um and then i think for the second part this is such a weird and anxious time for everybody that you're just trying to keep yourself mentally sane and, and going that i just don't think it's going to lead to you know positive things yeah but again I, 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 I'm last half full kind of gal so well yeah exactly i mean like i'm the same way and this is why we're friends it's like you know i sit here and I, i'll like i'll pretend like nothing's going on i'll get a different amp out try to like you know just play and then kind of zone out for maybe 45 minutes to an hour take an instagram video and then you're like Oh, that's it. It's like it's like what am I doing? You know, I live in a house of guitars, and I really just without without an audience and and this cycle that we've developed for ourselves, it's very difficult to it's very difficult to keep motivated. You know, and motivating yourself has probably been the hardest thing in all of this for me. Um, and then I think we're slightly different, and I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, but I think your ma main vehicle for creativity is guitar playing, and I think mine is probably songwriting. Right um you know you're obviously a fabulous songwriter but i think that's just a you know not your main thing or how you voice your personality um and i've got nothing to write about i haven't been anywhere i haven't seen anyone i haven't had my heart broken i haven't broken somebody else's heart i haven't been arrested in not that i ever have been in austin texas for accidentally driving into a police car um right. you know in my, in all fairness, I was on the left side of the road, which is correct to me. I just didn't realize I was in America. Um, you know, I haven't done anything. So what am I going to write about? Quarantine blues, lockdown blues, alone for 12 months blue. I mean, you know, come on. I was on Mike Zito's show and I, and I, you know, you know me, I get on the soapbox. <laughs> I have a feeling I've just made a faux pas. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I get on the soapbox, right? You know, and I just, I just go right into material. I think it's funny, whatever. Some people don't. And I go, man, I can tell you what, what I really don't want to hear throughout all this is, is anybody who's going to start flogging their new song called Quarantine Blues or, or Lockdown, you know, Lockdown Serenade. And he goes, oh, man, that's because for real, we're that's we, we just we just put out a song called Quarantine Blues. I go, I'll listen to yours, Mike. I'll, I, 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 you get one. I get one. Tennis, there had to be one guy. And I'm glad it's Mike because that guy can write a song. So. Let there be one that is the, the champion for all of us. Let but, him write the epic, the opus that we all just bow down. Going, that's that. That's great. It begins and ends there. hundred percent. hundred percent. Tell me about, you know, a lot of people don't realize, you know, you, you, you were born in the black country of, of, of England, but you have, you have made your residence uh, for quite a few years in Michigan. Not a lot of people think of Joanne Shaw Taylor and the state of Michigan. What, what brought you to the state? Um, it was kind of a happy accident, really. 
I mean, my family always moved around a lot anyway. So I was born in the black country, but when I was about six weeks old, 10 weeks old, we moved to a small village called Cheswick Green, which was near a sort of, it's about four miles from Stratford-upon-Avon. Right. Um, but would live in the black country on the weekends because my parents were, you know, both had jobs and my dad was trying to put him through himself through night school. And we had very young grandparents, so we'd go and stay with them. They were in their 40s when we were born. Um, and then we dotted around a lot between Warwickshire and Northamptonshire and blah, blah, blah. So I've always been a bit nomadic and happy to go wherever I feel like, you know, I'm being taken. So, yeah, it came up when I was about 22. Signed to Roof Records, did that first album, White Sugar. And I'd always wanted to tour America. And I think I'd always wanted to try living here, to be honest. I never really felt settled in, in the UK. Um, so, yeah, that, it being a European label, they didn't really tour their European artists in America because obviously it's expensive and the visa process is pretty hard. But I'd happened to do a gig in Worcestershire and there was an American support band who were from Detroit, Paul Lamb and the Detroit Breakdown. And um, got talking to him and just said, hey, if I get together enough gigs that I can get the visa, can you help me with a van and routing and backline and, you know, all the logistical right. stuff? And we did. And I came over for about two weeks and we did a tour and based ourselves outside of Detroit and kind of just jumped to Ohio and Chicago and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it went great. And I got an agent, which was Steve Hecht from mm -hmm. Piedmont Agency that right. you probably know well, um, who's unfortunately no longer with us. And... Yeah, that spilled into then I did a six-week tour with Eric Sardinus and it kind of just kept flowing. So there was really no reason for me to be in the UK at that time because I was 22 and all my school friends had gone to university. Right. So I was kind of home alone. And meanwhile, there's Detroit was cheap and I was broke. <laughs> so it was, ooh, $200 a month. I can just about get that together. Um, so it just kind of worked out in my favor. And then it's, you know, it's been 10 years and I always come back here and it's just kind of worked itself out. I think I've got one more winter in me, though, and then I may give up the ghost and I'm moving to Cali with you. I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll tell you what. My parents just went through this and and, you know, they were upstate New York. They were upstate New York. They were used to winters now. And I and I always told them I moved to Los Angeles 20 years ago. And as soon as as soon as I moved to California from New York. Your tolerance for cold in the yeah. winter it, it it literally nosedives. It it it's not like it doesn't just it doesn't slightly go down. It's going fifty degrees is like why is it so cold out there? I used to go outside without a, a jacket when it was fifty degrees in upstate New York. I mean it's like there's only so much of that. You know it, it's 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 rough because you know you're 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 talking six to eight months of very cold gray weather because Michigan and upstate New York is pretty much identical you know it's topography. It's so in the wet again. It's the cold. I mean, I grew up in the UK, so, you know, you've spent a lot of time there. So, you know, it's grey and it's miserable and it's rainy. I love that. I love right. the rain. It's never cold. And even if you get really wet, you never really get cold. Right. You know, there might be two weeks of the year where it gets a bit miserable. Um, so for me, it's I love seeing the snow. I'm looking at it out my window right now. My Christmas tree's up. It's romantic. Mm. But if I need something from my car, which is just outside, I'm not going out there until for about three months now. I don't care what it is. I'm just not doing it. You should get one of those remote car starters. Those were very popular when I was a kid. It was like you just hit the button, the car starts, and then and in theory, well, while you're getting ready to get work, from my door to the car. Yeah, that's and a problem. I could break my neck in any of 100 different ways doing that, <laughs> and I'm just not going to do it. Do you find yourself like at this point? 
you know, you've put out, I think, seven albums and you you've toured the world. You're world famous, legendary. You've 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 crested the legendary status. Don't give me the face. <laughs> yeah. Don't give me the face. I'm, and, you know, I always subscribe to this concept of 10,000 hours. Yeah. And you have you have. I always said, you know, when people go like, well, have you put in your 10,000 hours? I'm like, well, which set? I, I'm on I'm on my third set of 10,000. Oh, my first gig. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you find it? Do you find when you walk on stage now that, you know, you start getting that quiet confidence going, you know what? I've been on stages like this my whole life. You started very young when you were a teenager mm-hmm. and you you put 10,000 hours on on stage is that is that something that is palpable in in when you when you get up there and 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 you know play a gig i go up and down with this because i am quite an anxious person you know that and i can be quite self-conscious and quite nervous even though i'm you know i shouldn't be at this point um i'm just erratic (laughs) really is what i am um, so, I mean, it depends. And I can get nervous about the silliest things. I get more nervous about meeting people or interviews than I do playing at the Royal Albert Hall or doing the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, you know. And I think you will probably be similar to that in that we started so young. I'm OK getting on a stage. It's all the other stuff I'm not particularly comfortable with, the photo shoots. And, you know, I'm yeah. not that person. I don't really want to see pictures of myself. Um, so it, it, it's it's up and down. I mean, most gigs... I do get a bit of nerves, which I like, because I think if you're not nervous, then why are you doing it? Because really, it's just anticipation and excitement. And, you know, you're a bit nervous to make sure the technical stuff's there, but not our first rodeo. We can deal with that stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping at some point that the experience is really going to be about me just getting more comfortable in myself and being OK with being Joanne Shaw Taylor. And I'm, I'm getting used to the social media. I've never been very good at that. Um, and I think actually this year has really helped with that because I've had no work other than to sit home and sort of talk to fans right. via Instagram, which is what I mostly do. And I think that's been really beneficial. I've really sort of got to know them a bit better and they're so supportive and lovely. And, you know, I don't think I I needed to worry for all those years about what they thought of me. And, you know, it's made me be a bit more open, which I think has helped me probably as a performer when I get back out there. Um, so, yeah, I don't think the 10,000 hours really counts for me. I think it's just getting to an age where you get more comfortable with yourself and understand yourself better. But also that may be a very female thing. I don't know. You know, it's, it's, you know, the social media is, you know, you're as advertised, you know, I post a lot of pictures of guitars. It's all I do. Okay. Because it's, I think it's fun. And it's, I got a lot of thing covered. So you got the Harry Potter and you'll occasionally get a comment. Like, it's like, it's like, will you just stop with the guitars already? It's like, why are you here? Why are you here? Why, what, what do you expect is going to happen? I've got two guys that hate me, that follow me. So firstly, I don't understand that. Right. I can't understand being 60 years old, which he is in his 60s, and feeling the need to email daily a woman young enough to be your daughter vomiting emojis. Like, if I'm doing that at 60, I'm going to think maybe my life is a bit of a failure. <laughs> and maybe I need some sort of help. Right. But the other guy just gets annoyed with me. He's like, so are you just going to use this page to talk about Joanne Shaw Taylor? I'm like, that's literally the only thing this page is for. Right. Right. It's, I'm, not, it's, I'm not going to promote you, you <laughs> or yeah. Crawford. 
it it really is a, a, all it is is really just a, an, an advertising vehicle to to say hey listen I got a record out or I'm doing a tour or checking in and but you know kind of keep in the public again, eye. The subject matter is <laughs> you know me, which sounds obnoxious, and we go off topic a little bit, but you know I'm I don't know what's expected outside of that. Like I'm not going to endorse. I don't get into politics and all that nonsense. Oh well, I don't that. That's a that's you know that's that getting into politics is a it there is an absolute no win scenario. No, well, I mean even this year no, I put up a few posts that for me were not political whatsoever and they've been taken as political. Mm. You know it's not like I came out and said I'm very pro Brexit or very right. you know, I just but everyone's a bit sensitive about those subjects right now. So Switzerland. Yeah, I'm pro dogs. I, I retweet and post dogs because you know what everybody can agree on? Everybody loves dogs. Yeah, I mean, I do have a personal page, which I think you're on. I've got yeah. like followers. It's you, my dad, and my nan. Right. And I'm a 35-year-old woman, so it's predominantly panda videos, puppies, and avocado recipes. Right. And that's that's the nature of social media. It used to be about like, oh, will you please stop talking about your lunch? Now it's like you're not using your platform in a correct way to talk about your lunch. Whoa. I do. I am glad for that in that I'm glad we grew up in an era where I didn't see what Steve Ray Vaughan was eating every day for lunch or what his wardrobe looked like or what it I like the air of mystery. Yeah. I agreed. And I try and keep a bit of that, but it's kind of hard because you've got to be out there doing stuff. But Yeah, I mean there's some people that have totally not gotten into it, you mm. know. Um and and or they have gotten into it and let somebody else run it. I found that when I let somebody else run it, it wasn't a question of um, it, people could tell it wasn't me because yeah. there's not there's no typos and I'm dyslexic. I've always been very particular about that and got very annoyed that because people do have to post on my behalf because there's things I can't do. There's certain links I don't have and right. you know and artwork I don't have and I'm just not very technically minded. But they put it up like they're trying to pretend to be me and it's like no, please put it as on behalf of Joanne or Joanne's management or, you know, right. to try yeah. and separate it. And you're good with that. You do the JB webmaster, don't you, or something? They do all the Facebook. I do the Instagram and the Twitter because at that point, I'm just, it's easy to do it. And, you know, if I got to, if I got to flog something, it, it's, it's, it's in my own words, which is tends to go over better than if it's just a very crafted yeah. post. Yeah. Tell people me, will hear from you. Tell me about the Diamond Jubilee, because I was reading about that today. And we've all had that moment. We've all had that moment where, where stuff fucks up and you sit there and you go, oh, my God, this is like this. This is like the worst moment of my life. But it actually turns out to it's always better than you think as it's going down. So yeah, I, there was a story about like your 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 tube scream or whatever ended up ended up failing. And you were just like straight into the amp. And Stevie Wonder made a comment about how he he dug how you just went up there and played yeah, green blues guitar. It's what we in the industry like to call a happy accident, I suppose. Right. Um, I mean, it was such a weird gig, and I was so glad to get it because personally it was such a, and you know this, but so it was summer 2012, and I'd actually gone home to my parents who were in Leamington Spa at the time. And, you know, my mom passed away in the March 2018. But that was kind of the beginning of we started to see she was getting tired of the treatments. And it was so I went home and thought, you know, I'm going to spend six weeks there. And um, I land and I get an email saying Annie Lennox is trying to get hold of you. It's like, okay. 
and it did click in my mind that the Diamond Jubilee, which obviously in the UK was such a huge thing, you know, I kind of thought, well, okay, well, Diamond Jubilee's this weekend, and Annie Lennox is sort of the prime person you would have on the Diamond Jubilee. Right. So anyway, I talked to an MD, and they're like, yeah, we'd like you to come play this song. So I ended up doing it. But the difference in my mom that day, and she was very excited about me talking to Annie, but by the time I got off the phone call and she'd realised what I'd been asked to do, she was already in the car and screaming that she was going to go buy a new outfit and she suddenly looked like the healthiest woman in the world. So didn't have the heart to tell her she wasn't invited. Um, and for those out there uh, in, 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 who don't know what a Diamond Jubilee, it was the celebration of the Queen, Queen yeah, Elizabeth's yeah. 60th year on the throne. Yes. Um, which I don't think there's been many, other than Victoria, I don't think anyone else reached Diamond. Um, so obviously it was a huge thing. Uh, it would have been terrifying. It kind of was. I got out on stage. So the, because it's the monarchy, which is a whole different ball game to anything, the Queen can't be seen to be endorsing any products. So we all had certain backline, but they had to be very well hidden. And I think they're actually like half a mile away. Right. Um, so as you can understand, the in-ears trying to connect to those amps was a bit dodgy anyway. It's not the best signal. Right. Like what happened was I couldn't really tell whether or not my boost pedal was on. As it transpires, my boost pedal was on for the rhythm part and it was all choreographed. I had to walk forward, put that on to do the solo. And then I had to walk towards Annie, who was further out on these steps. So I did that, but really what I did was I turned the boost pedal off and then walked towards Annie. And there's that split second of like, I can't hear myself, but the queen's right there. There's 2,000, 2 million people in front of me. There's 20 million people watching. More importantly, my mom is watching, just smile and stop playing guitar because you can't right. go back. So I just kind of smiled and got on with it. I was thinking, oh man, you know, because Annie was quite specific. She wanted like a really dug in deep but there's only so much you can do when you can't hear anything and there's nothing kind of coming back to you. Right. Um, so it's fine. And we, we got done and then I was trying to get out there of there later that night. And yeah, Stevie wonders drum tech came up to me and said, Oh, I've got a message for you from Stevie, which was that he absolutely loved your underrated clean blue sound. I was like, see, there you go. At least when I screw up, I do it well. I had that happen to me when I was a kid. Oh, yeah? And I was booked to come on an ABC television show called Into the Night with Rick Dees. Now, Rick Dees, famous DJ in L.A., mm. had an ABC, kind of like a Tonight Show, Jimmy okay. Kimmel-style show. Band, Billy Vera and the Beaters, legendary 60s group. And I was picked out of the audience in a sketch. And we rehearsed the sketch and I had the, one of those red knob twins, and I and I liked the the red the overdrive setting, and I and I was as a, a twelve year old, I was like I'm like you got to make sure that the that the the foot switch is depressed, and like of course you get like the IATSE guy going, don't worry kid, we're professional, we're professional broadcasters, kid, what do you got? What do you know? You know nothing. Well, you're talking about an evil twin then? Yeah, one like yeah, one of the the, the red knob twins. I liked it. I like those. Still do. Of course, because the whole thing is a surprise, you can't do it again because it ruins the surprise. Of course, it's up there, and the 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 the, the switch is not on. Okay, I think my life and career is over. Okay, and then you you listen back to it. And it's it's not as bad as you thought, but have going you, down, have, it's a miserable experience. Have you you listened back to that? Very rarely. I've said I've never watched the Diamond Jubilee. 
Really? Oh, I never will. Well, maybe when I'm like 80 and really hideously ugly, it would be nice to reflect on my youth. Just crack a good bottle of Chablis or Sauvignon Blanc and they're like, okay, I'm ready for this. Two glasses and I'm ready for this. Yeah, I think one day it will be nice. Yeah. I mean, again, it's nice to have those things, right? Show the the great nieces and nephews. But no, I couldn't bring myself to watch it now. Just weird. Well, you know, it's it's part of you. You know, it's part of the past. You know, like you can't change it. You know, that's that's one of the things that you just yeah. Can't. I just would like it to be part of the distant past. Right. <laughs> Not like the last decade. You're looking down. You're looking down yeah. a road that you've already tracked. upon my life, I don't think it will suck to watch me outside Buckingham Palace. All right, you brought this up before songwriting. And I said this about, I, I will say this when you're not in the room, and I say this when you're in the room. So this is this is genuine. This is not Hollywood. I think the reason why you're a superstar is because your songs are cut above. You're oh. a great songwriter and a great singer. Underrated singer, in my opinion. And a great guitar player. Who were your favorite songwriters? Like, what? who who are the writers that, that went, you know, I like what they're doing. I like the... Because you always have a cool, clever twist on the blues or blues-based music, which is it's so it's so easy to just just drive down those well-worn paths. But you always have a very clever twist. Well, I think for me, I don't think I had any particular favorite songwriters. It, it wasn't something I particularly researched. I just like good songs, and I think the problem for me, and you uh, you, you know this, and we've talked about this many times because we're very similar in that we got into this very young and we're very determined that this is what we were doing. Right. But you, when you're 13 years old, you know, yeah, you can play guitar, but then you've got to figure out quickly, can I be an artist? Can I, do I have something to say? Do I have a voice? Right. Um, so going through that, it became very evident early on to me that, and I didn't really start singing properly till I was 22. So I'm talking about when I was 16, 15, 16. I couldn't write good blues songs or what I imagined was a good, a hook. Right. Gonna fix the wangdang doogle. We're gonna got my mojo working. You know that one four five. Right. I, I was fifteen, and everything came off sounding cheesy. Right. And even now, I think it would. You know, I'm from Solihull. It's the epicenter of blues. It's not. Right. You know. Right. So I had to find my own voice, and I was very lucky. And I've been very lucky certain times in my career. And one of the main ones was Dave Stewart. Yes. And I met him when I was fifteen, and unbeknownst to me he saw something in me and I thought he liked it was the guitar playing and then he took me out one day and I was kind of living with him and his lovely wife Anushka at the time took me out in his little beat up old mini terrifying joyride um but told me to bring along three cds that I loved and I think I took Johnny Langley to me BB King live at the Regal and I don't know blues power or something you know and he listened to all of them and asked me what I liked about them and then he said we pulled back into the house and he said see the thing is I see you as a really good guitar player and a really great guitar player but I think there's more to you and I think you have more of a voice he said and the thing about a great guitar solo is is that if it's not in a good song no one's ever going to hear it right and then kind of turned me on to Bonnie Raitt and tried to kind of not push me but guide me in that um and you know he'd send me 10 song titles and I'd have to pick one and and write some lyrics to it and send it back and he kind of grade it and stuff which was lovely and sweet so I think that was the biggest thing to me was that there weren't any particular songwriters I just after that I started listening to songs and realizing I like good songs you know there's a reason why my favorite blues artists are Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and Freddie King and because they had great songs Praise Gone it's a really good song 
yeah. beautifully executed, but it's a great song without BB singing and playing it. You know, it, it could have been a hit for someone else. Right. So I think that's been my thing is that I just love good songs. And and then you get into the arena as you get older of, okay, what do I want to talk about? What It's free therapy. Right. You know? It's like, all right, oh, so all this crap's have to happen. So I may as well, you know, emotionally get through it and, and you know, dissect it. So I think that's been my sort of process anyway. A lot of times, you know, like what you don't realize is like, you know, like, like uh, Born Under a Bad Sign was not written by Albert King. Mm -hmm. And but, you know, like I, I look at like some of the, my favorite blues singers and, and players like B.B. and Albert and Freddie. They were interpreters as well. They were like Sinatra levels interpreters. Yeah. Frank, Frank would just take a song that he liked, you know. And a Nelson Riddle arrangement and make it the definitive version. You know, I mean, how important is how important is that? Like when you do choose like a, to, to cover a song, it's like, mm -hmm. how do you how do you go? OK, well, there's this version. Now I need to make a Joanne Shaw Taylor version. I've actually never done too many covers and I've only started to recently. We did that EP mm -hmm. um, last Christmas and I did Human, Rag and Bone Man, Slow Dancing in a Burning Room, John Mayer. Uh, I think there might have been another one on there. And I've never been too good at picking covers. And I think now I've gotten to the point where I've, I feel I've earned my patches as a songwriter and don't, you know, I can write more songs, but I don't necessarily need to prove I can. I can open up a little bit and, and you know, do some covers. Um, it was interesting to me in that I just, I found songs that felt like they had a message that I wanted to sing, because that's, I think, the most important thing to me. Right. I can't sing lyrics that I don't relate to. Because yeah. my job is to make you, as an audience member, feel something. So if I'm not feeling it, I'm not going to be able to fake it to you. Right. So Rag and Bowman, I love that lyric. And then even Slow Dancing in a Burning Room, I thought that was a lovely, heartfelt lyric once we stripped it down. And I will say we did remove a lot of words. Right. <laughs> John Mayer is very wordy. My right. <laughs> you know, when you're trying to deliver a vocal, and it's, I think one of them was... You know, the beginning, it's not a silly little moment. It's not the storm before the car. But then there'd be loads of words, and it's like, okay, let's just take a few out and get the meaning across without right, right. the cleverness. Um, so, yeah, I think for me, I just go on gut instinct. I think that's all any of us can do, really, and just feel, you know, because there's some great songs out there. You and Me, for instance, did a wonderful rendition of the band's, um, oh, God, what was that we did on the cruise? Oh. Oh, Oh, wait, yes. Wait. Yes. Wonderful song. I wouldn't say our rendition was the greatest. No, it was not. <laughs> um, so I just think that goes to show that, you know, I could perform Hey Jude and I probably wouldn't do it as well as I could do something else, you know? Yeah, you know, I mean, that that's the thing. It's like, you know, great songs transcend whoever covers them. You know, yeah. like how many times you like you walk into a, you, 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 you hear a band playing on like well like you know nashville lower broadway and and you know the band's good they're they're you know they're just kind of slogging their way through cover tunes and, and a song sticks out and it's not particularly sung in tune or played particularly well but you go man that's a good song you yeah. know and it's like it's like it doesn't matter who covers them it, it's it, the 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 largeness of of the writing and 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 how and how it, it means something to people. You just go, man, that's, you know, that's that's the trick. Yeah. And I'm still chasing after that. It's always getting about being a better songwriter. I don't know if you get better as you get older or if you're given a certain amount of songs you have in you to write. 
I'm hoping not. <laughs> what's the what's the best song that you that you feel you've written that hasn't gotten the attention that you thought it would, it would? I think the best song I've ever written has been Diamonds in the Dirt. Okay. It's probably my most popular song. Right. I, I probably should have written it for someone else. Um, you know, and let them record it and do. I think a lot of my better songs are the solely stuff. Mm-hmm. Just in other words, the the diamonds in the dirt, the falling loves. Um, yeah, and then yeah, I mean the other stuff's fun. I love playing Mud Honey and Bad Love and yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the solely stuff is what. Uh, yeah, I think that's what I'm good at. I have work on that. I have this problem where I I like I, my favorite song that I've been involved in a long time, mm. Self Inflicted Wounds. And when the record came out, this was the not not previous record, but the record before that, I thought people were just going to go, "Wow, that's that Joe, you've really you've really captured a sentiment in something very cool here." Crickets. See, that's interesting. And I play it every night just for spite. <laughs> I like it. You know nothing, Joe. You know nothing. I let me okay. teach you. I, well, that's interesting though because I do think, and I've always thought it was just me in that because I'm walking that tightrope of guitar player in a and our audience i would say a lot of my audience comes to the show to hear the guitar playing and then the words and every and the hair flips <laughs> just the stuff that happens in between. Free. <laughs> um so it's interesting to me and sometimes it does feel like a bit of a battle in that you're trying to those songs that really mean something to me like i'm only lonely or diamonds in the dirt or reckless heart i'm sort of sandwiging in between Hey, if you listen to this, I'll give you a 20-minute guitar solo. Right, right. In the key of e. Right. Um, <laughs> but then also sometimes, I, and particularly as well, because my audience is predominantly male-dominated and a little older than me, so it's like, oh, God, how are they going to relate to what a 30-year-old female is singing about? Right. So sometimes I do think about that and that I think it's a really good song, but actually is my audience going to like it? It's weird... There is a disconnect. Tell me about being a female in in a very male dominated business. You know, I mean, it's 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 you know, you 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 have you have you have hurdles that I I cannot relate to because I'm I'm just a, you know, suburban white kid playing British blues showing up on the scene, you know, and and whether 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 that's a good thing or not, that's yet to be determined by the Internet. But yeah, what yeah. I'm saying, like, as far as, you know, I'm like, you know, like, hi, I'm Joanne Shaw Taylor. These are my songs. I'm a badass guitar player, a badass singer. And then there's always, like, there's always going to be the chauvinistic shit where people just roll their eyes. Oh, just another female singer songwriter, mm-hmm. you know. Like, how do you, how do you transnavigate through, through that when, when immediately people just immediately start throwing rocks at you? I think it's different. When I first started, you know, I mean, I've been in this for two decades now, which is a long time when you're only 35. Right. When I first started, it was a lot of, you know, hey, you're really good for a girl. Right. Now you've, you know, with the Me Too movement and things have progressed, thankfully, and you would just never dream of saying that. Yeah. Um, not without expecting a punch. So right. <laughs> um, now it's just that more subtle thing that we're fighting against. I follow... um. A female movement on Instagram and they've started this brand of t-shirts that just says musician and that's made in the female size and then the men's size says male musician 
right male bassist right male guitarist and it's you know I, someone on my instagram the other day said hi joanne you're my favorite guitarist and i had to say thank you because that is the first time in two decades that anyone's told me i'm their favorite guitar player and not just your favorite female guitar player right um and let's be clear there's only three of us so <laughs> right so i mean um and again it comes down to the it's not gen gender specific music. There's no reason why I shouldn't be as good a guitar player than you. And if I'm not, which I'm not, it's because you're more talented than me and you probably dedicated more hours to it than me. It's not because I've got ovaries. Right, exactly. And uh, you know, even, even media coverage though, I mean like articles I've read about you in-, in What do I say female guitar player? My name is Joanne. That is not a gender neutral name. Right. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, it's just it's frustrating and it's annoying because also if I'm not as good as someone else, just tell me I'm not as good as uh, someone else. Don't sugarcoat it. It's not because I'm female. You know, right. and I don't want Waverly or Izzy, my niece, growing up in a world where they think they don't have to be as good as men or they can't ever be as good as men. No, you know, we'd and, be on and there's always, you know, like it, it's for years, there was always an asterisk. It was, it was like an implied asterisk. You know, it's like female guitar, but female singer. To me, Bonnie Raitt is as badass a slide player as Ry Cooter and David Lindley, and and as badass a singer as BB. More albums than all of you. Exactly, and I'm and doing it. She's just to me, you know, that to me epitomizes that she's just a masterful musician who happens to be female. You know, that's always been kind of my role model in that she's done it wonderfully. Now, I won't say that, you know, like Joan Jett, if you want to wear a certain thing on stage and, and be sexy, great. But right. I do love Bonnie for that, you know, she dresses very appropriately and she doesn't try to distract with what she wears and draw attention to the fact that she's female. She's right. up there, she looks fantastic and she gets the job done and she's, you know, can kick anyone's asses. Do you think that that women who, who um, and I'm gonna get shit for this, I get it. Um, women who, who dress provocatively, okay, tend does that do, and and kind of sell the more sexual side of 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 you know being a female musician. Do you think that sets it back, or is it just a it's just the way to go? You know, because a lot of times it's like it's like oh, it, there's a very provocative picture, a very you know flattering picture, and then you're like you know, and and it's like okay, well, does that does that push the movement back or or is it just part of part of the game firstly all my pictures are flattering and thank you're, god you're a very photogenic woman thank god. god um i think it depends i would never ever dream of telling anybody what they should wear and what they feel comfortable doing and you do you i think my thing has always been but are you wearing that because you're making up for something or you're trying to sell something that's not there that sets us back. Yeah. If you've got the talent, go out there and do it. Now, if you've got the talent and you're wearing that because that's what you want to wear, fantastic. You do you, sis. Go. But also, yeah, it comes back to that. It's the I'm trying to make up for something, you know. Yeah. Which yeah. is same men, you know. That's yeah. general. Well, I mean, like, there's there's always, you know, like, it's the same thing on the male side as well. Because, you know, like, there's some people, like, they dress up like they're, you know, like, it's like, it's it's 1987 Friday night on the Sunset Strip. And they're in the 7-Eleven, you know, getting Diet Cokes and, and peanut M&Ms, you know. Not that I ever do that. 
but it's but you know, like, who we're talking about as well well there's there, there's some people that and again it's an approach and, and their style is part of their identity and i get that i told i and i and, and i listen everybody has a pathway that they choose to to try to navigate through this hideous fucking business called music and however they get there however they get noticed it's like it's it's up to them mm -hmm. you know but but it sometimes it it i think distracts from the the the, the genuineness of the person you know because you can only be so, and it's also again we're starting on the back foot as females you know like someone said once it's easy to get people in the door as a female but you've got to work twice as hard to keep them there you know, you've got to work twice as hard as a man to be considered half as good. Right. Start on the back foot. Uh, so, yeah, I, I personally, I mean, I can only talk about what I want for me and what I feel my responsibility is. And I'm very passionate about getting more girls involved in music. You know, I'm doing that thing with Gibson. Right. Um, to encourage more girls because they feel uh, more intimidated by going to a guitar camp because it's going to be predominantly boys and you know that's tough yeah. when you're 10 11 years old um but yeah i just feel a responsibility firstly when i step on stage i don't want my gender to be taken into account i'm not singing as a female i'm not playing guitar as a female it's all gender neutral right um, so i wear black and i tend to you know not really wear anything risque and i also feel a bit of a responsibility i suppose for the next generation coming through i just want them to see someone that um yeah girls can do this as well as boys there's absolutely no reason why right and no reason more importantly that you shouldn't work just as hard as men because you have every right and every expectation that you could ex exceed you know their talent and their position but yeah, again, that's a, something very personal to me and something i'm passionate about so to each exactly. their own i you know my my passion has always been regardless of race gender whatever is is that thing that 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 sentiment that bb king would 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 always always not preach but but tell me about about like it's all about keeping the blues going keeping yeah. the blues going no matter what it no matter what shape it takes you know and and my trip to mumbai india really inspired me i did a gig there with robert cray when was in that? 2008 and those kids I don't know how my records made it over there. They were singing slow gin. And I was like, this is what B.B. King was talking about. Uh, it's blues and music, not just blues, but music is a, is a universal language. And, and, it, and it touches people's soul on a binary level, regardless of your female, black or white or whatever. And, and that to me, that really drove home how international and how uniting music can be it, you know, done it, and that's that's what we do. That's what we do on the cruises and our foundation and everything. It's it's just let's get everybody playing and see what happens. Speaking of the cruises, okay, <laughs> um, you and I, we 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 hang out on the cruise. Sometimes we'll have a big night out. You know, if we, none of us are working, big night out. We'll go see other bands and whatever. You know, you know, and and you know, have a have a have a port. You know, just a, a tiny dram. And then I invited you a couple of years ago. We, I was like, hey, you want to go to Hibachi with me the next day? I'm already hating you for mentioning this again. It's the gift that just keeps on giving. It's the gift that keeps on giving. And because, you know, the Hibachi part of the cruise ship is, 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 is actually 
it's kind of secluded and we just could sit there. We went early and stuff like that. And it was all good until the show started with the cleavers and the- none of this was good. So let me interrupt you here. The yeah. reason I had come to your room was that it was my day off. So the evening before I had decided to have a few tipples of port, as you so right. kind of right. said, provided for me by Robert Randolph who apparently right. drink far more than any other human being and live to tell the tale. Right. Went about to bed about 4 a.m., which was fine because I didn't have to work the next day. Came to see you around 2 p.m. in the afternoon and said, I'm dying. <laughs> I am dead. I want to die. And you were unsympathetic, slightly I sympathetic. I sympathetic on the inside. I just didn't vocalize it properly. Yeah, I, yeah, I wasn't much into making the effort to to seek. I needed it very in my face. Right. Fortunately, Clay, your tour manager, who was an angel, grabbed hold of me and took me to the bar outside at the end of the bone, went, right, I'm going to get you a Bloody Mary. Right. Did. And I drank and started to feel a bit better, but still really not very good. Came back to you. And you said at this point, let's go to dinner. I want to buy you dinner and I'm going to make you feel better. And I went, well, that's lovely. We'll go to Hibachi. I was like, okay, I don't know what that is. I'm from a small village in England. Sounds wonderful. Right. What I didn't know was, A, Hibachi is a lot of people slamming steel on steel. I also didn't know that you'd invited your entire family, including your young niece and nephew. So therefore, the entertainers felt the need to put on an even bigger show. Right. And all the while I'm dying... I don't, at some point, I remember you leaning into me and going, just so you know, I'm paying for this. And I was like, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> I'm not spending any money on this. I hate you. And, and the material was great. The jokes, I mean, they yeah, were... Yeah, baby. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Ah. Yeah. Ah. yeah, it was... That was... Uh, it, it, uh, I just was like, oh, my God. I could sense the slightest human suffering. It's one of my one of my talents. I'm like, oh my god, my my one of my best friends is suffering through this for me. I think you feel that. I just don't know if you know how to show compassion. I'm very compassionate when I have to be, and at, at that moment, I just chose not to. How'd that work out for you, Joseph? It was. It was. It, it will. It'll be forever. A, a bruise on our our relationship going forward. And then you made me go back there again the next cruise. Yeah, we we needed redemption. No, let's just go somewhere quiet. You right. can get room service. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm to wrap up here. I'm gonna list some guitar players, and I want you to tell me your opinions on these guitar players. Sorry. No, you know I'll be honest. You can be honest, Jimmy Hendrix. Brilliant, Jimmy. In a picture, can't believe he died at 27, which is eight years younger than me and, and achieved all that he achieved. Amazing, right? Yeah. Do, you think, do you think Jimmy would have been better or do you think the way he was living his life at that time, he would have eventually, like a comet, maybe burned out a little bit and then had to kind of regroup if he had, if he had lived? I don't know. I mean, I think I like to think that we've all got a clock that is set and then when we're we going out and that was his journey and it ended when it needed to end. Yeah. Sadly for him and sadly for us. Uh, so who knows? But, you know, brilliant. Sometimes sloppy. <laughs> but I think that was the 60s. And there's a lot of recordings out there. Um, but yeah, I can't think of a... I mean, how long has he been dead? 50 years. 50 years. 
I can't think of anybody in the last 50 years that has come along at the age of 23 and done what he did. It's amazing. And to do it all in three or four years. Sure. I mean, just completely. And, I mean, yeah. ignoring the fact that the guitar player was the songs. Lit Wing, Song. Cries Mary, you know. Yeah. Albert Collins. Iceman. The reason I play guitar and I love him. Um, I mean, again, the reason I got into electric was that I played classical and it was so disciplined. And then here's this guy that's got this weird. Bah, 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 bah. Right. You know, he was and a master man. He, 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 you didn't want to square off with him. He oh, was, I, I had the pleasure of doing that once when I was a kid, and he just murdered me on in front of my parents. But it was all in a very friendly way. He's like, Hey, you want to stand up here? Check this out. He knew you were going to take me to Hibachi 50 right. years later, and yeah. he decided he was just going to try and kill you then. In 91, he was, he was, he, he saw that, he saw the Hibachi incident. But the first time I saw Albert was like he was walking down these stairs at like a jazz show in Brazil. And it was that song, Mr. Collins. Bah, 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 bah. Right. But he just made his male horn singers sing the line. Right. Really, definitely. You're there. You're not playing. Yeah. Go on next. Albert King. You have a poster above your head. I've got Nick Caramon over there and uh, Lightning Hopkins over there. Um... Ooh. Ooh. What do I say about Albert? Because Albert isn't my favorite of the three kings. Okay. I'm going to start very negatively here, and I'm hoping that my brain takes off and helps me pick this up. He's probably my least favorite of the three kings because I put him in a different category because he was so – just that tone. It's the bend. Right. You know? Um, and also the fact that he was such a big guy and I think a little bit nasty, I suspect. Well, you know, um, he was a drummer. Do you know he was a drummer before yeah. he was a drummer we for Jimmy? Did that video. Yeah. I don't think I knew that until you. Yeah, Jimmy Vivino uh, taught me that. He's like Albert Nelson King. You know, I'll name. say this actually. I think Albert King is probably my favorite guitar player of the three, three Kings. Freddie being my favorite songwriter and entertainer, and BB being my favorite singer. Right. Albert had an in, he nobody played like him before, and everybody copied him after. You know, I mean, it, it just it was like an immaculate conception. You're like, well, where did this come from? Well, you, you've heard that Stevie, him and Stevie doing that thing, right? That album. Yeah. Yeah. What, I can't remember what it's called. And I think we're all in agreement that Stevie nails Albert King until you sit Stevie next to Albert King and go like, oh, <laughs> maybe maybe it's a little bit different after all. It is a different uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Oh, my boy. First love of my life and the reason I have become who I am and I have everything to thank him for. Um, great singer. Um, brilliant guitar player. Um, crazy performer. Um, and just very sad that I will never get to meet him and tell him how wonderful I think he is. He 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 was the one that it was proof of concept in the eighties. That's what everybody wanted to be. Wanted to be him, you know. And it's he's a once in a generation talent. It's more than that. I mean, the weird thing for me with Stevie, which is really why I got into blues, is that he was just the perfect gateway artist. Because he is an, a tremendous guitar player, was a tremendous guitar player, but his guitar solos are so fluid and so beautiful and the tone is so, you know, easy to digest. 
But yeah. they're pop songs, Love Struck Baby, Pride and Joy. And he's got that wonderful, beautiful, warm voice that draws you in. And then he looks like this kind of sexy, skinny cowboy, <laughs> you know, it's such a right. weird image. Uh, with this super cute smile and it was um it's just the perfect package it was you know wonderful robin trower oh i love robin i did did you come out to that when i did the tour with robin a few years ago i did not no i wasn't i wasn't in the country you were there i was i'm thinking of that time you came to see me in london and my mom was bugging you a lot at the o2 um I didn't get into Robin till much later, actually. I think probably around the time I started touring with him, to be honest. And I think that was because my dad had played me an album when I was like 13, and I was really into Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, right. Sonny Boy Williamson, old school stuff. And it was a little too far gone for me. Um, yeah, a little too modern for me at the time. Right. Um, but yeah, probably one of the greatest guitar players, you know, our country's ever produced. And I have to say on a personal level, really lovely guy. Really, yeah. really lovely. Really lovely guy. I, I actually own all of it. I, I own his Bridge of Psy mm-hmm. um, era Marshall stacks. I got oh, three really? stacks. I bought I, I bought them from him directly. Cause I was like, I was like, where's the fawn colored Marshall? He's like, here they are. You want them? I'm like, yes. Yes, I do. No, he was, I have to say, yeah, that was a wonderful tour. He's such a sweet guy. Okay, and last but not least, okay, this is going to be a tough one. Joe Bonamassa. No. <laughs> not doing it. <laughs> oh, well, you're brave. <laughs> I can really much say whatever I want. What funny stories do I want to tell? Um, am I rating you as a guitar player? Just as, just as your friend. Are you the best friend I've ever had? Thank you. I don't like you, but I love you. Thank you. That's, 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 that's all I needed to hear. Um, Joe Bonamassa. I think Joe Bonamassa, objectively, firstly, he's probably the best guitar player of his generation, closely followed by, though I think slightly different generation, obviously Eric Gales. Um, I think you're an inspiration to all of my generation and the next for... Clearly, you are a great guitar player. You know that. Thank you. Uh-huh. You mentioned it once or twice. Um, <laughs> but your work ethic and also your business model and how smart you are in that everything we've discussed earlier. How good is a good guitar solo if it's not in a good song? Right. And you've got great songs. Um, and you've worked on yourself. You know, I met you 2008 and you yeah. were just getting used to being thin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and very happy right. about it. Yeah. Um, but obviously more comfortable in yourself and wearing nice, you know, nicer suits. I mean, you've evolved, but you've also always chased, you know, where you were going. You haven't settled. Uh, so I think you're, if anybody wants to get into this business, they could do far worse than to look at you and, and see what you've done and how you present yourself. As a friend, I'm glad you always pick up the tab because it makes suffering your company sometimes a lot easier because sometimes you put me through hell and you're really bloody annoying. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, I love you and I think you're a superstar just as a, just as an artist and as a friend, you were like, like my best friend I've ever had. And, and, you know, I've known you for a long time and 
I just can't thank you enough for doing this because I know I know when I when I texted you, you're like, what do you want? What what is this life? I, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> so but no, thank you. You've been a, you've been a great guest. It didn't help that we were having because we usually have our Thursday or Friday nights with a bottle of wine and talk for an hour. Right. It's like, oh, it's just going to be like this. I was like, Joseph, I've just spent 45 minutes explaining to you what toast soldiers are. I'm right. Like, don't think this is what we should put on the internet. No, the internet's not ready for that, those conversations. The internet's ready for a good banter among artists, you know. Thank you for watching. Until next time.